As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, league champions as Inter end Juve's reign and Champions League with second legs of Man City PSG and Chelsea Real. Plus, RB Leipzig go for a march, Valencia say no gracia, and the latest in those extraordinary title races in France and Spain with ballers, brawlers and Jean-Michel Aulas in Monaco, Lyon. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello everybody, it's Tuesday the 4th of May for us. Actually it's not, it's Monday the 3rd of May for us, but for you listener, Tuesday the 4th I'm thinking. When I say us, by the way, yes, it's the classic lineup. We've got Alvaro Romeo. Hello. James Horncastle. Good day to you all. Raphael Honigstein. Hello mate. And Julian Laurent. <laughs> Bonjour. Bonjour to you, Jules. Crikey, Jules, you've... You've had a busy weekend. You were up in Manchester, then you came down to London, and now where are you again? I'm back in Manchester to I make things simple, you know. <laughs> right. Leading another protest, Jules. I am. I'm at the yeah. I'm at the heart of it all. Of course you are. Now what, you're there, of course, to talk to Paris Saint Germain players ce soir ahead of their uh, make or break do or die second leg with Man City. That's right, Marco Verratti and uh, Mauricio Pochettino later on in the uh, you know the match day minus one media activities, and and see how they feel before this second leg. They they're staying in the same hotel, the Laurie Hotel. I'm not sure after what happened on Sunday if it's a good thing or not. But where they stayed when they played United back in December and mm. won that game. Marco Verratti before the United game came to speak to us as well. Same today, so they're keeping the same kind of habits. Maybe huh. hoping for a bit of luck. I don't know. All right, although. Am I right in saying it's not the same manager who was staying there with them last time? Although the former one could also qualify for the final. True. And that would be interesting. Do you still believe, Jules? Of course. Like Neymar said, 1% chance to qualify, but 99% faith. Oh, yeah. I like it. Good. Also, was that City performance in the second half one of the most overrated second half performances we've ever seen? Yes. 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 My, oh, my. I don't know. I I heard that it was the best ever a web performance from an English club in Europe. I mean... I may have said that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that and whether it was overrated, underrated, etc. and so on. But we can't go any further without getting some moments of the week with Paddy Power. Rafa! Well, moments of the week, James. Hmm... I think we'll come it's back to you. probably. James. Oh, <laughs> you just had a week to prepare. Yeah. No, we didn't. Sorry, I mean, look. Uh, <laughs> in fairness uh, to myself, uh, there wasn't that much German football played this week. No German teams in uh, Europa competitions. Uh, we only had two games in the cup. Mm. So I guess uh, my moment of the week would have to be off the pitch matters, and it probably is the announcement of Julian Nagelsmann as the okay. Bayern coach. Not necessarily news, but a big moment, nevertheless. Sure. And and we, we talked about that a little bit last week. But what, what has also been confirmed since our last show was who's taking over from Nagelsmann at RB Leipzig. And it's Jesse Marsh. 
And it's also been confirmed who takes over from Jesse Marsh at Red Bull Salzburg. Oh, yeah. And that is? Marshall Jaisel. Jaisel, yes. yes. You very so excited about him. He's going to be the next, 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 next big thing. All right. Wow, I'm keen to hear more about... Matthias Jaisle. About, yeah. Uh, but let's get some more months of the weekend. Alvaro. Well, I said that before, and I say this today, I-Liga and next week is going to be spectacular because there are still four teams in the title race in La Liga and they are playing each other next weekend. Uh, Barcelona is hosting Atletico de Madrid and Real Madrid will be playing against Sevilla. What's your moment of the week, though? My moment of the week. Because now you, that, you said about the moment of next week, but what, what about this week? <laughs> All right. Very harsh, you know, Jules. I, I <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just asking if there's one. I, I think that there is one. It has to be Roberto Soldado kicking the VAR uh, monitor uh, after being sent off in the Granada Cadiz game. I think that it was a satisfying moment for many who dislike VAR as well to see Soldado mm -hmm. doing that in representation of uh, an angry crowd. Right. There was no one in the stadium, but I imagine those on looking gave a, a kind of suppressed cheer, did they, Alvaro? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he was sent off. He told the referee something that he shouldn't. And uh, this is the first time I see uh, somebody just kicking the VAR, a structure that holds the monitor. He was fuming with that. Wow. All over the continent, all over football, the people getting angry. James, your moment of the week. Well, shall we go from people getting angry to people rejoicing? Um, because there was that banner in the Piazza Duomo, which was in Questa Pandemia, Se l'unica gioia mia, which is yeah, in this pandemic, you've been my only joy, which is Inter, because Inter have become champions of Italy for the first time in a decade. Juventus' reign of champions after nine years is over. Uh, and the man who put them on the throne is the man who takes them off the throne. It's Antonio Conte and uh, Beppe Marotta, the architects of Juventus' kind of uh, domination. They've been the ones who've been overthrowing it for Inter. Brilliant. OK, Inter celebrations and more to come. But let's begin with the Champions League semi-final second legs. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shot bets. T's and C's apply. Team plus, be gambleaware.org. Navas is ready to bondir, it's for Marais! It's for Riyad Marais! The scenario catastrophe! Au Parc des Princes! Riyad Marais! Vient plomber les espoirs de qualification du PSG. Wow, what just happened there? It sounds like something's kicked off in Paris. That, of course, was commentary on the 2-1 victory of Man City at PSG last week. We've got the return legs in the Champions League semi-finals coming up. Tuesday, PSG making the trip to the Etihad. Wednesday, it's Chelsea against Real Madrid. But let's start with PSG. So the scoreline and that second-half performance make, for many people, City-strong favourites. However... You were making the point in Monday morning's show, Jules, that in actual fact, wouldn't have taken much for PSG to walk away with a big win in that game had, say, Verratti been a little bit taller, had Navas been a little bit more switched on on that Kevin De Bruyne a chance as well. You're still optimistic. Tell us how you think this 1% chance that, that Neymar talked about could come about. Yeah, I, th I think I think you have to be optimistic anyway. Anything is possible in football. I think they can, they can go there and win 2-1 and get extra time. They can win by two good difference. It won't, won't be easy, but I think they can do it. They That second half was, I thought, more impressive from City's point of view without the ball in the the, the pressure that they put on PSG and, and forcing them to make mistakes more than with the ball where I didn't think they created that much, but they scored two goals. Whether they're lucky or not, they all count the same, so it doesn't matter so much. But I think PSG can take a lot of optimism from the first half and if they can play like this for a bit longer and put City under a bit more pressure and be just a little bit more clinical when they get into the City box, which they will do inevitably in that game. They will concede chances, but they will create some as well. Then I think they'll have a chance, but it's obviously a huge task because City are, have so much momentum. They won 32 of the last 35 games in all competition. They, they're still very, very strong and, and they believe surely more than ever that they will make it to the final for the first time ever. I do wonder... I, I, you know, I rem the, the, what Pep said after the, the first leg when he said that in the first half the pressure got to them and that's why they didn't, they were not themselves and they, they clearly, clearly the pressure got to them and I wonder if maybe at some point in that second leg the same can happen where they would be through 
I kick off because nil nil is a good result for them and they they through. And I wonder if maybe a bit of pressure and tension can creep in at some point and maybe make them not play like they usually do. I, I don't know. I think the the pressure is a is a good angle for this game. So we will have to see. But certainly PSG have nothing to lose. So I think they will go for it. They will be quite an offensive lineup. Uh, Variety will play deeper with Paredes, and I think you could see Draxler maybe starting, Icardi maybe starting with Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria. So I think they Ooh. they will go for it, and and they're right to 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 do so because whether you lose one nil or three nil is the same. If if you win one nil, it's not enough. So may as well go for it and see what happens. All right, James, you were calling Man City's much lauded performance away at the Parc des Princes the most overrated second half yeah, of the fraud. season. I think Tell us more. You said a fraud. <laughs> no, Jules, I'm not like you. I don't use the <laughs> F word as freely. That was just for um, that I, I did think some of the reaction was over the top, uh, just for for how the goals came about, really. And also, I, I, I think. Whilst they were much improved after the interval, they had to be because PSG played so well in the first half. People seem to forget how well PSG uh, played uh, in that that opening forty five minutes. Um, and you know, from what we've what we've seen from Paris so far this season, they're at their best when they're away from the Parc des Princes. I mean, you know, as, as, as we referenced at the top of the show, they, they came to Old Trafford and won. They've gone to the Camp Nou and won. They've been to Munich and won. So I think you know it's it's fairly obvious. Anyone can point out that they've got brilliant players who can pick you off on the counter attack or who can even beat you in tight spaces. So they'll certainly be able to score goals away from home. They've they've done it pretty much all all, all the way throughout this season. Um, so yeah, I do not think this tie is is done and dusted by any means. Rafa Alvaro, I think that. PSG was very good in the first half against Manchester City, but uh, sadly what we tend to remember is what happens in the second half. So we remember what Manchester City did, but if the goalkeepers had saved the stoppable, uh, then the game would have ended 1-1. I, I think that Keylor should have done much better uh, when Kevin De Bruyne uh, put uh, a cross in his box. And uh, still that PSG still has a chance. I can see Manchester City trying to control the game, keep long possessions, and not only that, uh, keeping short passes as well. Because Pep Guardiola, we know that uh, he is a big fan of uh, just recovering the ball very quickly when uh, he's players lose it and uh, he knows that uh, the shorter the passes the more likely you are to recover the ball as soon as you lose it so I can imagine Manchester City trying to play in small boxes small spaces and just you know keep the possession as long as they can and make sure that PSG doesn't go in the counter-attack. Pep who hasn't been to a final in 10 years Rafa will this be the time? I think so I think that um, City are a better team than, than PSG I think that they have a fantastic result to to work with I just don't see PSG even if they score a couple of goals keeping a clean sheet so it's going to be very very difficult it would be a huge surprise I think if City throw it away from here and the big problem for them in recent years not just or the big problem for Guardiola in recent years not just at City has been the away form um, the away forms and knockouts has been has been pretty poor and Again, in that respect, it felt like a very significant result for them. Even though you can argue that home and away is perhaps not quite the same at the moment. Mm. Um, so I think City will will go to the final and uh, will also win the competition. They do have the advantage of the two way goals from the first leg there. The other semi-final, a lot more evenly matched with a 1-1 scoreline, slightly favouring Chelsea after the, the game a week ago at Valdebebas. Alvaro, what's the news from Real Madrid's point of view ahead of their rematch on Wednesday? Is Varana injured? Is Marcelo doing duty at the polling station? What's happening? Well, uh, Rafael Varane, uh, the latest news uh, today is that Rafael Varane won't be playing the game. Uh, Real Madrid has uh, released a statement saying that he's got an injury. A few players can return and may probably return to the squad. Uh, Ramos, Mendy, Valverde. The question is how many players who are not 100% uh, with Zinedine Zidane field because you cannot play with five or six players who are just uh, dragging some uh, physical issues into the game. I think that that would be too risky. I'm sure that the usual suspects, the guys who are doing a great service to Real Madrid, Militao, Nacho, Odrio Zola, maybe a little bit less, but definitely Militao and Nacho will have a chance. And uh, Eden Hazard is another of those players that... Uh, 
finally he, he got to this stage of the competition more or less fit but I think that Real Madrid will be very reliant again on the usual uh, Casemiro, Benzema um, a good game but Thibaut Courtois those will be the keys for Real Madrid and uh, when it comes to Marcelo yeah as you said before I mean um, he will be a sub as well in the Real Madrid elections because there is a person who has been tasked to be monitoring the the pole station and Marcelo is the number two option just in case the number one option cannot attend so Real Madrid has sent an appeal so Marcelo can travel to can travel to London but at the same time Marcelo has to go to the polling station on Tuesday morning uh, because uh, if that person who is the number one choice uh, cannot uh, make it well Marcelo will have to take over I'm amazed Alvaro I, I felt that the <laughs> that you know the long arm of Real Madrid would be enough to 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 relieve him of this duty or perhaps postpone it to a less inconvenient time. But I thought you were going to say that Real Madrid should be very happy that he can't play that game anyway. The funny thing is that he's going to be a sub here too. Uh, he's going to be a sub in right. London anyway. If Fernando is playing, but in Madrid he's going to be if he stays in the polling station the number two uh, right. option just in case the number one is missing or called sick or whatever. But you know this is. I would say that's good for society as well. Uh, my mm. mother and my brother, they had to go in May to the Basque elections, to the poll station, just to count the votes. So it's good that anyone can go or anyone is entitled to go or nobody has the privilege to skip it. Stop the count. Stop the count. <laughs> Hazard started in La Liga this weekend, Alvaro. How did he look? Uh, he looked fit, but he doesn't look sharp yet. So he's a player who is taking many security passes, uh, passing back the ball. He's not uh, taking on uh, many one-on-ones. Uh, his driving abilities are still there, but he's not exerting them. You know, against Chelsea, you may need to be a little bit of your old self, and Eden Hazard doesn't seem to be there. And let's don't forget that they are playing against one of the best defences in Europe. I mean, under Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea has gotten already, has kept, I believe, that 18 clean sheets in 23 games under the German coach. So I think that, uh, yeah, probably a player like Vinicius or a player mm. like Asensio, but definitely Vinicius, uh, at, the moment, at the minute, has more dangerosity than Eden Hazard. 17 clean sheets in 23, but still pretty impressive. Do you see Real going through? You were still pretty optimistic last week, Alvaro. How are you feeling now? I think that they still have a chance. Uh, only because I think that Chelsea, uh, they are a fantastic team defensively, but then they are not... Um, capitalizing enough the chances they create and in fact my stats are before the game against Fulham mm -hmm. in terms of conversion in the Premier League uh, Chelsea was the 16th worst in terms of conversion since Thomas Tuchel arrived all I can remember is Timo Werner being in front of Thibaut Courtois after what fourth minute and not being able to score a goal so I mean that's I feel that's pretty emblematic of Chelsea's problems in front of goal now <laughs> But they are fantastic uh, defensively, Jens, because uh, last weekend, for example, I was commentating on Chelsea Fulham and Josh Maya uh, didn't even appear in the game. <laughs> he was so well controlled by Chelsea defenders that I didn't even mention the name of the Nigerian striker a single game. Mm. All right. Uh, well, that's coming up on Wednesday. James, I've not heard much from you. So how about we have a quick chat about the Europa League ties that are coming up on <laughs> Thursday? Really? Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Return late. He's trolling you. He's trolling yeah. you. No, 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 Roma, no, no. no, the Roma have Man United coming to the Stadio Olimpico fresh from that. Oh, 6 2 at Old Trafford. The Roman Tower is on. Yeah. Nah, 4 0. Their faces, when that sixth goal went in, it, I mean, I think anybody, whoever you support, it was it was actually painful to, to see the way it just left Roma broken. Uh, it's rare to see a team quite so kind of destroyed apart from every time Roma come to England but uh, anyway ah, James I think we were there when when, when uh, the Man City Roma game. played That's City true. no yeah Totti oldest oldest goal scorer or something yeah magnificent goal but yes but it is funny how this keeps happening at Anfield previously <laughs> Old Trafford anyway it's the first time certainly that a side has scored as many as six goals in a major European semi-final since Real Madrid did it in the European Cup in 1964 just to give you a measure of how big a win it was for United. United didn't get the chance to play at the weekend, nor in many ways did Roma, who lost 2-0 away at uh, Ranieri's Sampdoria. Little doubt now that, that it is the end of the line uh, for Paolo Fonseca with uh, Maurizio Sarri in pole position to take over for the Giallo Rossi. 
Yeah, that's right, James. Uh, I think uh, he was he's been discredited, Paolo Fonseca. Again, I, th- I think the the Roman press is its own worst enemy, or at least the team's worst enemy, because uh, to be coming out with that kind of news two days before a major semi final certainly isn't uh, isn't helpful. Um, and that, I tell you what, I mean, Roma very unlucky. I think in that first half. Uh, use all their three substitutions for three different injuries um, mm. to three very important players, some of whom are not going to be back, some of whom, of course, weren't available at the weekend. They were without 10 players in that game against Sampdoria. Certainly didn't help that um, Jekyll had a penalty save because, what, their first two penalty takers, one was out injured because he was injured at Old Trafford. The other was uh, had just become a father, Lorenzo Pellegrini, so was was still in Rome. You know, Roma in that first half at Old Trafford, they you know they were okay. They were okay. They 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 were two on up. I, I think the second goal was was a fi- was was a fine team goal as well. Um, but I think you know when you've used up all your slots, yeah. You know, I think the question mark for Paolo Fonseca was at half time when you do have the availability to make a, a, another substitution. You know you're not going to be able to do it in the second half. Your team is flagging. He should have maybe intervened then, and he didn't. And uh, and the team crumbled. Uh, the the team crumbled. Uh, and I think Roma would far prefer this game not to be taking place on Thursday. I think they would just they would just say, United go through to the final. Ciao, ciao. Mm. Well, I should get some of the United fans along. They can sort that out. <laughs> Um, if United do go through, it will be the first time in five semi-finals that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has actually managed to qualify for the big game. With the 6-2 lead from the first leg, he's probably going to do it. What about the other game on Thursday, though, as uh, Arsenal host Villarreal? What, what's the latest on the, on the yellow submarine, Alvaro? Well, the latest is that Villarreal rotated a lot during the weekend and Still, they beat uh, Getafe 1-0. Mm, I think that there was a feeling at Villarreal's camp that they should have kept the 2-0 advantage against Arsenal. But then there was uh, this penalty on uh, Bukayo Saka that uh, still is difficult to understand why it was given anyway. Uh, but the, that penalty uh, makes the things difficult for Villarreal for the away game or for the second leg. Um, if Villarreal goes to that game trying to defend the scoreline or to defend the, the the advantage from the very beginning, they're going to lose probably because they are not this solid team. They cannot put a display like Atletico de Madrid did at the Emirates two, three years ago. I think that the Villarreal, they have to make sure that they are facing this game as if it started with a nil-nil scoreline and try to win it as well. But the truth is that there are some positive uh, things uh, about Villarreal that has to be said. Uh, number one is that uh, the team is winning without Gerard Moreno scoring goals because he hasn't scored in the last four. Uh, in the Europa League, Villarreal has been so solid that they haven't lost a single game yet. They have won 11 games, they have drawn only one. And I believe that uh, little by little, um, few players that they seem to be just uh, not important in this team, they are uh, gaining some relevance as well, the likes of Paco Alcácer, for example, or Mario Gaspar, even, a guy who, as you might remember, scored a bicycle kick against England um, in a friendly between Spain and uh, the English national team. But this season he has barely played, and the other day against Getafe he looked very sharp. Okay, Jules, you've been seeing plenty of Arsenal on the Europa League trails. What do you think? Can they turn it around? Yeah, I think they can. I think they can. They can win one nil and and qualify. It won't be easy because I do think that Villarreal will have chances and and will create and and maybe will even score. So they will they will really need to be at their best. They have to be. This is this has to be the best performance of the season or very near it, like the Chelsea one at home on Boxing Day. Those kind of performances because they they have played well at times in those big games. Uh, but if they're inconsistent again, like we've seen t- too often this season, if they league goals again, like we've seen too often this season, there's no way they can go through against a team like this because they're, they're a really good team, Villarreal. We'll find out on Thursday. Next up, let's get on to some domestic league action with our first title winner. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Thirty thousand happy and not at all socially distant tifosi in Piazza del Duomo yesterday in Milan after Inter were crowned champions of Italy. Meanwhile, Romelu Lukaku roaming the streets, hanging out of his sunroof, singing at unsuspecting passers-by, and on a terrace overlooking the town, Javier Zanetti wearing his 2010 Champions kit and still looking identical, basically, to the day he signed for the Nerazzurri, having a sing-along himself, and. Antonio Conte celebrating privately by glaring at little children and kicking kittens. <laughs> it's been 11 years since the Nerazzurri were last campione, eh, James? And they, they've been looking streets ahead for the last couple of months. Yeah, I think it's felt like a foregone conclusion, really, since uh, the beginning of February. Um, I mean, Inter sorted themselves out domestically uh, at the end of November. Um, when basically Conte decided to do away with this kind of daring experiment that he was he was uh, doing with a number ten, two wingers as as wing backs and rotating a lot. Um, I mean, Inter have played as a very attacking team this year. Um, you know, you, you go back to those opening weekends with Kolarov playing as a centre back, Perisic and Hakimi as the wing backs, Eriksen as a number ten, and two strikers in Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez. They were. Uh, often overwhelming teams and not taking chances. And as we saw in the Champions League, that that really came back to haunt them. Going out of the Champions League allowed them to focus on, on Serie A. Um, but I think yeah, pretty much from the Sassuolo game at the end of November where they said, you know what, enough with this high line, pressing, number 10, yeah, let's just uh, let's just get rid of Ericsson for a bit. Let's bench Shakimi for a bit. Let's go back to just being pretty dogged. Uh, and they've, they went on, they gathered all this momentum and to be honest, uh, I think if you look back at February when they overtook Milan going into the first international break and then they came out of it and they absolutely crushed Milan coming out of it 3-0. Uh, from then, from then it's, it's one of those classic Conte stories that we mm. saw at Juventus when you know, he inherited a team that finished seventh and he won the league and they went undefeated. At Chelsea, inherited a team that finished 10th, won the league in his first year in a new country, even though Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and Justin Mourinho were there. Were there, and again this time in his second year, it's felt like it's it's uh, it's been a Conte Conte scudetto all the way, uh, r- really since November onwards. Among his many achievements, making them absolutely solid at the back, getting this wonderful partnership of uh, Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez of functioning, but also turning Ericsson from this kind of spare part stashed in a cupboard somewhere into the vital component. And again this weekend, a microcosm of their season. They're playing Crotone. They bring on Ericsson within a couple of minutes. He scores and then they're on their way to the title. Yeah, I mean, he says, look, I coach everybody. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're starting 11, you know, if you're part of the squad, I coach you. I try to improve you. He said, you know, when I got the job at Inter, the thing I said that we will win the league if I improve every single individual player on this on this squad. Um, and I think he has done that. I mean, you know, one of the weird talisman talismanic figures of this title win is Matteo Damian who scored the the clinching goals in tight games uh, against Palmer and Cagliari um, was the difference in those I think Ericsson I mean Ericsson looked like he was on his way out in January they were publicly speaking about how he just didn't fit in um, and it wasn't working then the January transfer window closed he was still there and uh, Conte started using him as a kind of um, in a double pivot with with Brozovic or, or sometimes as, 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 a, as just a, a number six and it started working. Um, and I think Conte deserves great credit because, I mean, there are some players he'd kind of, I think we in the media thought he'd given up on, like Perisic, for example. They sent Perisic to Bayern. He won the treble. Um, he was apparently incompatible with Conte's tactics. He couldn't play as a second striker. He tried him as a wingback and he's he's eventually converted him as a wingback and he's done very well. So it is a, it is a triumph of coaching as well as very lavish spending, as we saw mm. in... Um, particularly in, that, in those first two transfer windows uh, that he had where they broke their transfer record for Lukaku, Barella, and then they signed Ericsson that January, even though, what, four months later he was going to be available for free and they paid 20, 27 million euro for him. <laughs> um, so in the end of the day, they've done it. And as you say, Javier Zanetti looking as ripped as ever. 
um, uh, you know, sort of uh, just that that guy is is timeless. Um, I'd love to know what his secret is. Yeah. Antonio Conte, by the way, no manager in Serie A history has a higher points per game average than Conte does now. As for Inter, they have a one Scudetto lead on Milan now in historical titles in Italy, 19 to 18. The next big uh, challenge for them, of course, is what their new club anthem's going to be. Conte got rid of the old one. Which is all well, I know, he said that's 100% false, that's fake news. Oh, really? He, he well, said there was he... a... There was a charming number about how how Inter were a little bit mad, a bit It's a great batty. song. Yeah. It's a great song. Sing it for us, James. My wife can sing this song because uh, she loves it as well. Amala, pazza intamala. There we go. And by <laughs> the way, if you, want it, if you want to hear it sung properly, have a bang on this. <laughs> Is Zanetti there? He can sing a bit. Oh, what a guy. Anyway, now, so currently, they've gone from that very upbeat number to this quite sombre affair. Uh, written, this is so bizarre, I didn't realise that this was written by Elio out of Elio e le storie tese, which is this kind of surreal musical satire group. Uh, but, but this is the current number. So there you go, that's Graziano Romani, but that song was by Elio Elisori Dese. Incredible, no? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Anyway, despite the fact that the fans don't want it changed, there seems to be a an open kind of, what would you call it, concorso, a, um, contest. a competition. A contest. A competition, yeah. to, to find a new theme, there's various entrants, but the favourite is, James? It's Max Pizzali. Right. Who, if you listen to Golazzo, you'll know his work from Liotto Otto Tre, Sei un Mito, Liani, Anucito Luomo Ragno, all those great, great numbers. This is his proposed theme for the Nerazzurri. Imagine that ringing out San Siro or wherever they're playing once they knock that down. Next up, then. With a hearty congratulations to Inter, let's move on to some German Cup news. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, mid odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. German Cup news, Rafa, in a second. Just want to say that Ajax also crowned champions this weekend. In the Eredivisie, after a 4-0 home thrashing of Emmen, it's their 35th national title, extending their record. And essentially, they retain the crown after last year's competition was called off amid the pandemic. Also, Ajax signing their manager, Eric Ten Hag, to a, a new contract, which will see him at the club, at least in terms of the numbers on the piece of paper, until June 2023. What does that mean for his links to Spurs, Jules? It means that there's no link anymore. The link, the, the link is gone. There's no, there's no link at play. But I just wanted to say that Zenit have also been crowned the Russian champions That's for the first true. time in a long time, longer Gazprom than I thought champions. it was. Gazprom, they bring you the lights. Did you see the ceremony when when they went up for their medals? <laughs> yeah, I saw some of it. Yeah, Artem Juba went up dressed as Deadpool. Yeah. Huh. Right. Hmm. It's been a it's been an interesting season for for Juba. Or you know, on and off the pitch, really. Why, Jos? He was um, not picked. He was dropped from the squad during the season for filming himself uh, doing stuff to himself. <laughs> yeah, interesting, uh, Jubia. In a mask or? No mask, no. On his own, I guess, in a room he was, I think in a hotel room ah. or somewhere, or maybe at home. But yeah, interesting season for him. 
Well, people film themselves doing stuff all the time. I mean, that's TikTok. Yeah, you're going to have to specify, Jules. <laughs> yeah, but Robert Lewandowski has never done what Zubia has done on TikTok, so, you know. Okay. Let's hope so, anyway. Uh, Rafa, let's get that Pokal news. Cup semi-finals this week, which meant the Bundesliga took the weekend off. They can do that because they're a sensible size. And the exciting news is, Rafa, we're going to have an RB Leipzig against Dortmund final. You know... This has never happened before that uh, weekend was off because of the cup. Usually the cup is in midweek. This one was called off because the police were worried that because of 1st of May and all the demonstrations and protests that we get in Germany, they'd be too stretched to have a full Bundesliga program. So this was a a one-off. But um, two slightly mismatched games, unfortunately, although Werder Bremen made, uh, made it difficult enough for Leipzig in the first game on Friday night, Leipzig needed a last-minute goal from uh, Emil Forsberg in extra time, so the 120th minute, to get through to their second final since uh, going up to the Bundesliga five years ago. They lost the first one against Bayern with Rangnick in charge, and now Nagelsmann's got a chance to win it and, of course, arrive in Munich as a cup winner because that really worked out well for the last one who did that, Niko Kovac. <laughs> the other one... Um, was slightly more reminiscent of uh, Roma's resistance or lack thereof against Man United. It was second division, Holstein Kiel. They were 5-0 down within 40 minutes and then Dortmund started taking off players. Yeah, okay, so it's unfair to Holstein. They actually did did quite well, actually. So let's not be too unfair to to Holstein. There's that (laughs) clip, Rafa. There's that clip of Jaden Sancho looking at a a defender who runs away and falls over. Was that the level? That was the level uh, on the day. I mean, they Holstein, it was difficult for them. They were in quarantine before. Mm. They didn't have any chance to, to play or, or train properly. And they came up against the Dortmund side that even without Erling Haaland, who was on the terrace uh, or in the VIP section having a good time, they were just far too good and far too strong. And luckily for them in the second half, Dortmund decided, you know what, enough is enough. Let's slow things down. It should be, should be a really good final now because... The two best teams left after Bayern were knocked out are in the final and they both have a lot riding on this. Um, Dortmund can still make it a decent season if they win it. And of course, if they make it into the Champions League for Leipzig, it would be their first trophy ever. In uh, all their long at history. At this level. In their long history since mm. 2009. So it should be a good one. And strangely enough, it's going to be on a Thursday this year. Right. Okay, in Berlin... And they'll have the chance to practice as well because these two teams will be facing each other in the Bundesliga next Saturday as Dortmund continue their bid to break back into the top four, the Champions League places. They're two points behind at the moment with Wolfsburg and Frankfurt in third and fourth. Uh, Leipzig, of course, are still in second place, five points behind Bayern Munich. And as you mentioned, Jesse Marsh coming in as their manager for next season. How... Bigger leap is this going to be for him from the in no way connected uh, Red Bull Salzburg? Yeah, and and from the no way connected uh, Bundesliga in Austria, of course, one Bundesliga to another. I think it's going to be a pretty big leap because Salzburg, as we know, they're they're so dominant. It's hard not to win the league with them. Um, in the Champions League is where their real test, if you will, is um, is being seen. And he did okay, certainly in the in the first season when they had those really good games against uh, Liverpool. This year, um, slightly less, I think, impressive. They were a little bit disorganized and chaotic. Um, but of course, they can always play decent football. I think on the plus side, he's already worked at Leipzig. He was Ralf Rangnick's assistant a couple of years ago. So he knows most of the team. He knows the club well. He knows what's demanded. On the minus side is that I think following up after Julian Nagelsmann is really, really difficult for any coach, but perhaps especially difficult for a coach who's not a native German speaker and is going into the first job at this level in his career. So I think it's not going to be that easy for him simply because of the huge boots to fill. And Leipzig don't know what kind of team they'll have. That's the other thing, because we know that Upamecano is leaving. We know that uh, Konate is very likely to go as well. 
Um, they're negotiating now with um, Forsberg and with Halstenberg and with Sabitzer, who all might still leave this summer. So it's a bit of a transitional moment also for the team. So I don't think it's going to be that easy for Jesse Marsh next year. Rafa, just on the subject of players leaving or not, there's a lot of talk about the gentleman's agreement in Jaden Sancho's deal with Dortmund and how that might facilitate his departure for perhaps the Premier League this summer. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, I think the situation is not too dissimilar to last year. The difference is the price tag. Dortmund were very um, straightforward in what they wanted last year. They wanted a decision by the end of July, I think it was, and they wanted 120 million euros plus. Now uh, they've made a similar unofficial it's not a declaration, but it let it be known, I think, through through briefings that they would be wanting to once again part with him if an offer comes in early enough, certainly um, before the training camp starts in July. And secondly, if I think a figure closer to maybe 90 million euros will be met. Um, that reflects Corona. It also reflects the fact that he's only got two years left on his contract rather than three. And I think that is the agreement that they have. The big question mark is not so much what will Dortmund do. And I think the question mark really is the same as last year. Is there anyone ready, willing, able to put that kind of money on the table? Because I think the number of clubs who might be able to do that, you can probably count on on two fingers. And whether you know either of them have the money or the need for, for Sancho, I'm not, I'm not that sure either. I mean, I'm talking about Man United and, and Chelsea. I don't see any other club in the Premier League. I don't see any other club in, in Spain bidding for him. All right, Rafa. Thanks, mate. Okay, who's up for the latest on the Ligue 1 title race? Me. That's next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Yep, latest on the Ligue 1 title race. What a title race it is, Jules. Lille still a point ahead of Paris Saint-Germain after Lille beat Nice 2-0. Another goal from Brooke Yilmaz. Chelic with the other one. PSG, meanwhile, had a 2-1 win over Lance with Neymar scoring one, setting up another. Mbappé rested, but as Jules mentioned earlier, they're confident he will be playing at the Etihad. Arguably, though, with three games to go, the really big match was elsewhere. In another country, actually, Jules, in Monaco. (laughs) As Monaco took on Lyon, this was foo. It was incredible, James. Uh, we had the, the fantastic uh, Lyon-Lille the weekend before, which was already very good on the Sunday night. But this this was maybe even better because we, we had four teams in the title race and we were down to three after Lyon lost against Lille last weekend. Now we're down to two because Monaco lost. So it's very much a Lille-PSG fight for first and second. And then, as there's only one point between Monaco and, and Lyon, a fight between Monaco and Lyon for that third place that will send you into the Champions League next season. So right. huge, but, huge battles between the two, but that game was incredible. Well, there was literally a fight between Monaco and Lyon as well at the end of, of this game. What sparked that off? Uh, if, uh, I think I would say Italian thuggery because as we all know, Italians are thugs, you know, and <laughs> clearly the Shiglio and, and Pietro Pelligri hate each other. I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how or where, or where the... Um, where the beef comes from, but clearly, and you could hear, uh, even if you don't speak very, very good Italian, what Pellegrini was shouting. Uh, they both got sent off. They both had a fight. It was a huge... I mean, they, they didn't like each other, the, the Lyon and Monaco, before. So in the first game of the season in the league, Lyon battered a, a, a very naive Monaco team 4-1 and I think made sure that 
they let the Monaco players know how they felt about it. Then in the cup a few weeks ago, Monaco won that one, but again, you could feel the tension and we knew that if something was a bit different in this game, it would kick off. And and because because Lyon scored their winning goal in the 89th minute, Ryan Shirky, one of the, our show's favourite, uh, the 17-year-old scoring that, that winning goal, his first ever league and goal, then obviously, then he all kicked off after that. Beef, uh, beef jerky. Nice. Beef jerky, indeed. Nice one, James. So, yeah, uh, final score of 3-2. You had five goals, two. five red cards, including the ones, I think three of them handed out after the final four. whistle. Yeah, four, four of them. them. Sorry, right. Yeah, uh, Albert, uh, Prince of Monaco, uh, furious. Yeah. And the Lyon president, uh, Olas, with, with tears in his eyes after the... After the, 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 the victory. After not what? being invited to the Super League. <laughs> Shouldn't you call what? him Prince Albert? has a nicer ring to it. You're right. Prince Albert, <laughs> yeah, not so much. Brilliant. Uh, now, so there's a race for Champions League places between Lyon and Monaco. And what, are there going to be key suspensions? Are there going to be key people out because of all these red cards in this game? Yeah, I mean, so the, if you look at losses from those red cards, it's clearly more in favour of, of Monaco because they lose Pellegrini, who is a young player but has not played much for for Kovac, they've got Ben Yedin and Voland, who played really well on Sunday. Both both scored. Uh, Voland has been, as we've been saying all season, fantastic. Same with Ben Yedin. and the other one is the the young William Jobels, who again is a French player for Monaco. So they lose them too. That's kind of okay. On the other hand, Lyon lost Marcelo and De Chiglio and Cacré to to red cards, which is huge for them. So I think Lyon will will. Feel the the pain far more than than Monaco on the players that they lost on on red cards, but it it would give Lyon so much momentum going into the last three games of the season, and and for Monaco it's a shame because I think I think they they could have pushed Lille and PSG all the way to maybe maybe snatch the title and they would have to come back next season. Cool. Anything else from Ligue 1, Jules? I think that next weekend we've got the uh, the North Derby between Lille and Lens, which is a huge game because Lens can still qualify for Europa League, which would be incredible considering their promoted sides. And I think that if Lille are still top after after the weekend uh, next weekend, and if they don't lose against Lens or somehow are still top, they, I think they will win it because their next two games they, they're not they're not going to fall after 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 this game against Lens. So I think a lot can just rely on this big North derby. Jules, when's that game coming up? On Friday night in Lens. And don't forget, in the reverse fixture, they were humiliated 4-0 at Lille by Lille. Uh, and I think they, over the fact that it's a you know, rivalry and etc. and they've got that, that fifth place for Lens, it's also a way of of trying to get revenge after the humiliation of, of the, um, the first game. And then PSG will play on Sunday night away at Rennes. Crikey. Let's find out what's going on in La Liga. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Alvaro. James. La Liga. When was the last time Spain had a title race this good? Since 1984, I believe. What happened in 1984? No, in 1984, there were also four teams involved and eventually Athletic Club Bilbao won the title. <gasps> right. That would be pretty special. Well, they're not in this one, but their their progeny, their offspring, Atletico Madrid, are. So there was drama, first of all, last Thursday, since our, our last show, as Barca's title bid hit a bit of a bump. They lost 2-1 at home to Granada this weekend. They had a 3-2 win at Valencia, a game which has had other repercussions. We'll hear shortly. Uh, featured a, a brace from uh, Leo Messi. But with Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid both winning as well this weekend, it leaves the title race with Atletico top two points clear of Real Madrid and Barcelona, who are level. Sevilla yet to play this weekend. They host Monday night as we record this. If they win that, they'll be one point behind Real Madrid and Barcelona with three games to go. The extraordinary thing is... Alvaro, as you mentioned earlier, is that the top four play each other next week. So you'll have Real Madrid playing Sevilla and Barcelona against Atletico Madrid with the hideous prospect for 
Barcelona supporters that by winning that game, they could hand the title to Real Madrid. Aye, aye, aye. Absolutely, because as you well know, in La Liga, whatever unties a tie on points is uh, the head-to-head, and Real Madrid has a favorable one over Barcelona. And uh, let's say, let's play hypothetical scenarios. If Barcelona beats Atletico, uh, they will have 77 points. If Real Madrid beats Sevilla, they will have 77 as well, and the goal difference will be better for Barcelona. But uh, Real Madrid uh, managed to get the better of Barcelona in the head-to-head results, and The truth is that uh, at the minute no team seems to be so superior to the other to the point that they can start making calculations. I mean, they have to go game by game. And uh, how much is going to play a part the fact that Atletico and Barcelona, they are playing on Saturday and Real Madrid and Sevilla are playing on Sunday? I'm not too sure about that, but uh, probably these two games should have been played uh, simultaneously just to make it a bit more fair. Severe. What are the permutations that would lead them to coming out of this on top? Because I think that's the outcome that a lot of neutrals would be very excited by. Well, it would be they need, uh, ideally for them, Atletico and Barcelona to draw their game. And mm-hmm. Sevilla needs to start by beating Athletic Club Bilbao on Monday, uh, which is something very likely because Athletic Club has beaten only twice in the last 28 years uh, in the league away. Uh, I think that uh, the last time we, Athletic Club Bilbao, beat them was in 2011 when Marcelo Bielsa was our coach. So Sevilla, uh, they have to make sure that they beat Athletic Club Bilbao first, then beat Real Madrid, and mm-hmm. then they will be in the title race. It's as simple as that. But uh, generally speaking, all the teams, they seem to be faltering a little bit. They are playing basically with the reserve gas at the minute, as we say in Spanish. Atletico, they managed to revert a very negative run of results. Real Madrid, they have many players in the sidelines and yet they are getting the results to the point that they haven't lost a game in the last 19. Barcelona, after beating Athletic Club Bilbao in the cup final, they have had a drop in their level, uh, which is explicable as well. And uh, I think that logical, considering that they have been playing Sunday, Wednesday for a long time now and uh, Sevilla, they are in the best run in the league. They have um, won the last five games in a row. So I think that this is going to be down probably to who has the best players and uh, those big players that step up will end up winning the league. And for example, you could see that against... uh, Against Valencia, Barcelona's strikers, Griezmann and Lionel Messi, put a good show, even though Messi missed the penalty. Uh, Mm. I don't know if Benzema can carry all the weight on his shoulders, but uh, he is very well supported by a really good defensive structure. And then Atletico de Madrid, I think that is the one who needs uh, more Luis Suarez, but Luis Suarez is not scoring right now. Fortunately for them, a player like Marcos Llorente is still scoring, and he gave the win to Atletico de Madrid against Elche, uh, scoring his 11th goal of the season. And then Elche missed the penalty in the last stages of the game. So all of them, as you can see, are hanging and they are managing to stay in there, which is uh, the best thing you can say about them. They have managed to be competitive in a season that hasn't been easy for any of them. Mm. Suarez, by the way, making his first start in four weeks for Atletico this last weekend. He did put the ball uh, in the net, but it was uh, ruled out by VAR. That Barcelona win, by the way, over Valencia, saw Valencia then deciding to fire Javi Gracia. Alvaro, yet another managerial change. Could they not have waited till the end of the season? They could have waited. Uh, Valencia is only six points away from the relegation, even though it's difficult to think that they will be in trouble until the end. Uh, I think that they just need three points to consider themselves more or less safe. Uh, It's a strange team, Valencia, because if you take the results at home, only uh, they will be mid the in the middle of the table. If you take only the results away, uh, they will be in relegation. They have been really poor uh, on the road. And the thing is that Javi Gracia never looked like a Valencia manager from the moment that in October, after the transfer market window was closed, uh, he offered his resignation to Valencia president, Javi Gracia, because he basically the club didn't meet the, some promises um, signing-wise that uh, they were supposed to meet. And Javi Gracia said, well, this is enough for me. But the club didn't accept his resignation. Then Javi Gracia, if he wanted to leave, he had to play like a, a penalty. So he stayed. And from that moment, uh, he looked sometimes a dead man walking at Valencia. He managed to do a certain or a number of good games with the team. For example, they beat Real Madrid at home this season, which was something very important for them. But Valencia never seemed to have the energy because Javi Gracia never seemed to have the energy either. Uh, Some of the players that they 
the, the owners want to be the big ones, like Kang in Lee, for example, or maybe Smusa, the, the Englishman, they haven't had the continuity at Valencia. Javi Gracia has uh, been very loyal to a small core of players, and that ended up uh, not working. Okay, so he gets his marching orders, and Salvador Gonzalez. Voro. Right. Voro comes back in. It's the sixth time he's come in as an interim manager for Valencia, a club with a uh, a flexible view of, 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 of managerial uh, permanence. Now, that's uh, the situation in La Liga. Let's conclude today's show next up with events in Serie A. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Serie A, James, so Inter won. Behind them, though, three Champions League places up for grabs. You've got five teams in the mix. Atalanta, Juventus and Milan, who are all level on 39 points. Napoli, two points behind them, four games to go. And then Lazio, who are five points off the top four, but they do have a game in hand and are beginning to put another run of results together. They beat Milan 3-0 last Monday. And then this weekend, that Rocambolesco 4-3 with Genoa. Of the teams, who do you think is going to miss out? And could it be Juve, given how tough their run-in looks? It could be Juventus. Um, you know, as Alvaro was talking about his moment of next week, I think we'll be talking about uh, next Sunday's game between Milan and Juventus, which is being framed as a Champions League playoff. I don't think it's as simple as that because Milan have got to play Atalanta on the final day of the season as well. Um, and I don't think they'll be looking forward to that game. Um, Atalanta actually have been quite unlucky uh, in, in their last couple of games. They look like they're in form. They look like the kind of team that can can finish second um, at this moment in time. They drew with Sassuolo on, on Sunday. Their goalkeeper got sent off. They still managed to take the lead and had a penalty to win the game 15 minutes from time. So um, I think Atalanta have got things going for them. Lazio have two. The question mark's really about Milan and Juventus. Um, Milan had a bit of a return to form on Saturday night against Benevento have slipped into the relegation places. They won 2-0. It could have been more. Uh, it was pretty much a first-choice uh, 11 that Pioli could field for, for the first time in a long time, apart from maybe Simon Kier. Um, Zlatan was playing almost as a, as a number 10. Whether he'll be able to do that against Juventus remains to be seen. There was this incredible story about Donnarumma as well, um, going around where the Ultras had demanded a meeting with him outside the training ground in Milanello um, to say, you haven't signed a new contract yet. There's all, this, all these reports about you maybe going to Juventus. We don't want you to play against Juventus. Um, to which Paolo Maldini then released a statement saying, you know, Milan uh, decides who plays, who gets new contracts, not ultras. Um, we have full faith in the professionalism of Donnarumma, who, it must be said, still looks like he is going to be leaving um, at, uh, at the end of the season. But this could have a destabilizing effect on them. Juventus looked terrible. Mm. <laughs> Juventus looked really bad against Udinese. Um, it all came down to Cristiano Ronaldo uh, in the final 10 minutes. They fell behind again, which is something that they always do. Pirlo saying, look, we keep making life difficult for ourselves. They've won 17 points from losing positions uh, so far this season, which is more than anybody else. And you could look at that and say, wow, great character, Juventus. On the other hand, you could say, well, they keep going behind. This is absolutely terrible. Um, so um, by hook or by crook, Ronaldo managed to get them level and then uh, get them an 89th minute winner. Mm. Um, but they're not doing much to inspire confidence. So they have Milan coming up next week. And then the following weekend, they've got Inter turning up at the yes. Allianz Stadium, which is going to be fascinating. Antonio Conte back there in Turin. Meantime, uh, I think everybody now thinks that Pirlo is going to be stepping down at the end of this season with Max Allegri returning to a position a la Ferguson, as they like to say, a kind of a broad reaching kind of managerial role. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be very interesting what happens at Juventus. We talked about it in the aftermath of the, the Super League, what it means for Andrea Agnelli, what it means for the executive team that have been in place for, for 10, 11 years. Certainly isn't a good look that um, Antonio Conte and Beppe Marotta, the old chief executive of Juventus, have pitched up at Inter and have won uh, the league there, um, promoting uh, Marotta's right-hand man at Juventus, Fabio Paratici, into a, into a bigger role. Um, I wouldn't say it hasn't worked, but at the same time, his contract hasn't been extended. Uh, in the backdrop, you've got this, this Luis Suarez trial um, going on about uh, hmm. the kind of farcical um, uh, language uh, course he undertook, um, which isn't reflecting particularly well. 
um, on the cover. Did you see the video of the, the, um, the, the video <laughs> yes. that got leaked of, of this? Because investigators had placed hidden cameras in, inside the kind of exam room because they were. It seemed like strange stuff was going on at the at the university there. And, and uh, to be fair, Suarez, I mean, he makes some classic errors, but he, he more or less answers the questions, no? Yeah, I think the most scandalous thing in that video is that there was an Italian who was wearing sandals with socks. Um, uh, that was that was pretty much unforgivable. Um, but um, John Elkan, the head of uh, the Andy family, the head of Exor, the family holding company, he was he was he paid a visit to the training ground in, uh, during the week. This isn't something entirely unusual, but again, um, people linking it with with Andy's future, um, whether he's still going to be president of the club. Um, so to go back to your point about uh, Allegri, certainly, I mean, I think we've done some reporting around some of the vacancies in the Premier League at Spurs. Yeah, I think he's been contacted for that. There's a feeling that um, he's got a job lined up for a long time. It looked like that was Roma. I think the most natural thing would be for him to go back to Juventus. But, you know, considering that they sacked him uh, two years ago, I mean, he had a very good and still has a very good relationship with Andrea Agnelli. I think it's very interesting what you were saying about this kind of Ferguson role, um, mm. because I think... There's a feeling that um, certainly him and uh, Fabio Paratici and maybe Pavel Nedved had a different idea of how the club should go about recruiting or transitioning from one team to another. So, um, so we'll have to see. But very, at the moment, I mean, I think if 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 Juventus had lost in Udine at the weekend, which looked entirely possible until ten minutes from the end, you know, I don't know what they would have done. I don't know whether they would have would have had to take the drastic decision to sack him, maybe promote Igor Tudor in in, in his place until the end of the season. I mean, it's it's it does not bode well. Everything that could go wrong does seem to be going wrong for Juventus um, this this season. I wonder if I, I can ask something about uh, Artur Melo because Pjanic is not playing at Barcelona at all. Uh, that that, that uh, transfer seems to be absolutely disastrous. <laughs> Rafa, Rafa, no, no. Well, it hasn't really worked out for Artur either, um, Alvaro uh, in Turin. I think when he's played, he's been uh, the guy who is 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 better able to kind of play the kind of football that Pilo wants to play. Um, I think they're unbeaten when he's been in the team, or they've certainly only maybe lost once when he's he's started. Um, but he has this he has this injury which keeps him out. He's having to manage it. Uh, it means he's not available uh, all the time. Um, so even though it was a kind of cash neutral swap between you know between two clubs for what sixty million apiece, he was their big big summer signing and yeah certainly hasn't been able to upgrade or improve that Juventus midfield which is what every every one of their fans thinks is the problem area in, within the team they just don't have a good enough mid midfield um, to compete in Europe and I mean we're seeing it this year in Serie A um, compete for the title even in their own league. Mm. Quick check on Dujan Vlajevic we were talking about last week. Another two goals this weekend in a fiery Derby degli Appennini. Bologna 3, Fiorentina 3. A hat-trick in this for Rodrigo Palacio, who, yes, still has that extraordinary rat-tail kind of thing on the back of his head. Yeah, he does. Um, remarkable uh, how much he's played this season. He's one of one of the players who's clocked up the most minutes in the league, and he's 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 almost your age, James. I mean, it's 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 incredible. Hmm. Um, but I think as uh, the, the the funniest thing about that was really um, the kid Vignato. Um, I think we've mentioned on the on this podcast before. Hatrick, he set up all of Palacio's goals. Um, very much keep keep an eye out for him. He's uh, he's a he's a talent. Certainly, Sinisimalo, which needs no excuse to. Give young players an opportunity, but uh, yeah, Vlajevic keeps scoring goals. We'll have to see if you, uh, if Fiorentina can get him to extend his contract, whether they can hang on to the players, uh, uh, one of their best players, unlike they have done in recent years with Chiesa, Benedescu, and kind of end up inevitably going to one of the top top clubs. So we'll have to see. Okay, all right. Well, that wraps it up for now. Then from City, just a quick mention for the fact that today, the fourth of May, is of course one of the most important dates. Uh, in the Italian football calendar, really, it's the anniversary of the Superga air disaster when in, in 1949 a plane carrying 31 people, including Il Grande Torino, one of the greatest football sides Italy's ever produced, crashed into the Superga hill just outside Turin and everyone on board lost their lives. Uh, so many stories about that and it is, as I say, such an important day. There's always a pilgrimage to the uh, Basilica, to the, the, the Abbey on top of... Uh, Superga to uh, pay respects from 
from the the, the football community in, in Turin. But if you, you're curious to know more about El Grande Torino or Herbstein or or any of the stories or any of the facets of that of that sad story, then uh, there is a Golazzo all about that. So have a look for for that. That uh, brings us to the end, though, of today's Totally Football Show. We'll be back in a week's time. Of course, on Thursday, we'll have the reaction to the Champions League semi-finals. So uh, why not join us for that? For now, though, many thanks for joining us, listener. And many thanks as well to James Castle, Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo. We'll see you in a week's time from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.